22, the entire Bible is the story of violent conflict between those two unalterably opposed kingdoms. Every detail of my life fits within the parameters of the functions of those two kingdoms. Do you remember I told you that? So that we can recapture it, please put both hands out like this. Every detail of my life builds one kingdom and diminishes the other. Can you believe that? Every detail, there's no exception. If I have a quarrel with my wife, which kingdom is being built? Is that a fair question? If I do the work of the, of the king of kings, his kingdom is being built. The kingdom of his enemy is being diminished. The Word of God says there is only one reason that Jesus came. 1 John 3, verse number 8. For this purpose was the Son of God manifest to destroy the works of the devil. That is not one of the reasons he came. That is the only reason he came. Do you all understand what I've just said? There is no other reason that Jesus came. So how many kingdoms are there? Look at your neighbor and say, there are two kingdoms. How many of them? My life either builds one or it is building the other. Is that a hard concept for you guys? Pretty simple, isn't it? I was preaching in a church in Texas a number of years ago now. A man whom we had never seen walked in, sat on the back seat. He got up when I'd finished preaching and left. My phone rang before the middle of the week. He said to me, I am a graduate of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. I spent three years in seminary getting a master's degree in theology. I learned more with that simple illustration, he said, than I learned in three years of seminary. Every detail of my life builds one kingdom, and it diminishes the other. If you receive nothing else that I have said to you during the time I'm here, that is life-changing material. Now, here is the second thing that I want to leave you with, and I want you to understand it. And that is that both the kingdom of God and the kingdom ruled over by his enemy, the devil, are governed by the same set of spiritual laws. Would you like me to say that again? Both the kingdom of God and the kingdom of his enemy, the devil, are governed by the same set of spiritual laws. When we come to understand this concept, what God does and what he does not do, what the devil does and does not do, loses a great deal of its mystery to us. Now tonight, 
I want you to come to a deeper understanding of why God does what he does and why the devil is able to do what he's able to do. About 22 years ago, I resigned the pastorate of my church in Fort Worth, Texas. I had intended to remain there the rest of my life. And I began to go in obedience to the command of God around the world, preaching the message of the kingdom. To my amazement, for the first time in my ministry, everywhere I went, demons began to manifest. They had never done that to me before. But it seemed everywhere I went, a demon started acting up in somebody. Now, to my amazement, the people that they acted up within were all Christians. You see, I had been taught that Christians couldn't have demons. I expected to see them in Africa. It shocked me to see them in Pentecostal, charismatic, and evangelical churches scattered all over America. But demons started acting up. Now, I've got to tell you, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Nobody had ever taught me how to cast out devils. But I'm a little bit like a stubborn guy sometimes. If a demon acts up, I only have one instinct. Do you know what my instinct is? I'm going to cast him out. Now, my problem was I didn't know what I was doing. But I had grown up in Pentecostal churches. My dad was an Assembly of God pastor for more than 40 years. And I'd seen a few things happen that I thought I'd try. Y'all understand what I'm saying? So I started trying. And I learned, I, the first thing I thought was if I got loud enough, I could scare devils. So I used to yell at them and scream at them, Come out, devil! And they didn't come out. So then I was told that I needed to say some things. One of the things I was told that I ought to say was I plead the blood of Jesus. And that sounded holy and good. So I would say I plead the blood of Jesus and sometimes do it for hours and nothing happened. I'm curious, is there anybody beside me who's ever had problems like that? Come on, have you all ever done anything like that? I come, came to say that some of the things that I was taught to say were Pentecostal rabbit's feet. You all understand? Lucky charms, St. Christopher's medals, you know, all of those things that I learned how to do. And then I wanted to learn how the spirit world works. How many of you think we ought to know something about how the spirit world works? Now, the truth of the matter is, we don't have to be ignorant about that. Now, I'm going to toss a concept at you, and here it is. The laws that determine how both kingdoms work are called covenant. Y'all want to say that word with me? Kind of a complex word. Covenant, right? Now, in America, what does covenant mean? A solemn binding agreement between two or more parties. Right? Isn't that about what it means? A solemn binding agreement between two or more parties. 
to my surprise, that is not the biblical definition of a covenant. Does that interest you? It's not what it is. As a matter of fact, I'll give you a little bit of a Hebrew lesson tonight. The Hebrew word for covenant, the one that's used throughout the Old Testament, is a word that is called beer yeath. Y'all want to try that one? Beer yeath. Now, what does beer yeath mean? Would you like to know what it means in Hebrew? Okay, buckle your seatbelts. Here's what it means. It means walking between the pieces of cut flesh. Every time you read in the Old Testament that covenant was made, the word means that somebody walked between pieces of cut flesh. Now, I didn't know what that meant when I first started learning it, and I began to do some research. I learned that in order to study and understand Scripture correctly, it was necessary that you put every portion of Scripture in its historical and grammatical context. Who said it? To whom? Under what circumstances? What meaning did it have to the people to whom it was initially addressed? And only then could I ask, how does this apply to me? So I wanted to know what Beeryeth meant and what it referred to, and I discovered that there was an ancient ceremony that was commonly understood in the cultures of the ancient world that involved what it meant to make a covenant. Would you all like to know how covenant was made? Now, the reason that it is important is because every page of your Bible has either a direct picture or an allusion to covenant steps. I told that to one of my preacher friends, and he said, I'm going to see whether it's true or not. So he went and bought him a brand-new Bible with no markings in it. He said, I'm going to put a C on every page that has a picture of covenant. When he'd read the entire Bible through, he started flipping back through there, and there wasn't a single page that didn't have a C on it. So please look at your neighbor and say, the Bible is a covenant volume. Does that make sense to you? The Bible is a book about the process of covenant making. Now, having said that, I want to tell you all something that I have learned. Those of you who've been around me a little bit know that I'm a man who knows a little bit about the Bible. I can quote a lot of Scripture. Is that fair? But I have never met a devil that couldn't quote more Scripture than I can. Did you hear what I said? Everyone I've ever talked to knows the Bible better than I know it. They know covenant law, and if you and I don't know covenant law, they'll beat us about the head, neck, and ears, and we won't know why we're being beat up. Have you ever wondered why you get up beat up by demons? Come on, how many of you wonder why the demons are able to mess with you? Well, the reason that they're able to do what they do to you 
is because they understand the law of covenant better than we understand it. Now tonight, I'm going to stretch you just a little bit. Will you give me permission to do that? Are you willing for me to stretch you? Covenant involved seven easily understandable steps. Now let's assume that Pastor and I are considering making covenant. Okay? Now did you notice that I said considering? Did you notice that? Now I like Eric Cox. How many of you all like him? I like that guy. But I'm not ready to make covenant with him. Why would I not be willing to make covenant with him? Why would I not? I don't know enough about him yet. There are some things I want to know about this guy before I make covenant with him. I want to know how much money he owes. Do you know why I would want to know how much money he owes? Because if he owes a debt and he either cannot or will not pay it, if I'm in covenant with him, he has the right to call me and say, Jerry, bring our checkbook. (laughs) Do you understand what I've just said? I don't know enough about him. That's not all I want to know. I want to know who's mad at him. (laughs) Why do you think I want to know who's mad at him? Because if he gets in a fight and I'm in covenant with him, I got to fight for him. You all understand that? I don't know him well enough yet. The first step of covenant making was counting the cost. No two people would enter into covenant unless first they counted the cost. Now may I tell you that it is precisely at this step that the modern church has made her most serious and egregious error. May I ask you a question? How many of you friends believe that Jesus Christ is our example? Come on, are you all afraid of me? Really, are you afraid of me? Is he our example? Should we, to the best of our ability, do things like Jesus did them? Should we? Now, if we know how he did it, if it is clear, should we do the same thing? Well, would you like to know how he did it when somebody wanted to follow him? Now, I'll tell you how we've done it. Y'all want me to tell you how I used to do it? I used to make heaven sound so wonderful that I'd give an invitation and folks would almost run to sign up for heaven. Or I would preach hell so hot 
that they could feel the flames licking about their ankles, and they'd come forward. Or if I couldn't do that, I'd develop the Pentecostal mannerism that I would say, Honey, do you want your life to be wonderful? God has a wonderful plan for your life. And if you'll come to Jesus, things are going to be great. How many of y'all have heard those? I mean, those are our three motivations we have used. Problem is, nobody wants to go to heaven. We avoid it as long as we can. Nobody serves God out of fear of hell. I can make you afraid temporarily, but I can't keep you scared. Come on, how many of you know you're not going to serve God for that? And if you came to Jesus and you really gave your life to Him, expecting the things, things to be wonderful, you're going to be disappointed in a hurry because all hell's getting ready to break loose in your life. People often ask me what the evidence of the baptism in the Holy Ghost is. They think I'm going to say tongues. Y'all want me to tell you what I tell them? It's trouble. I mean, you just got equipped to fight. How many of you think the devil's going to roll over and play dead? How many of you believe he'll turn the heat up on you if you really get serious for God? I'm going to guarantee you he does that. So the problem is we've used entirely wrong motivation, and we brought people down to the front. And then we promise them if they'll say two or three magic words and pray a little magic prayer that they're saved. Come on, am I telling you the truth? Now, I'm going to ask you again. How many of you think we ought to do it like Jesus did? Got your Bibles? Open them, please, to Luke chapter number 14, beginning with verse number 25. Now, I suggest that all of you get your Bible open and get your big pencil because you really ought to mark this. This is one of the places in Scripture that you ought to have it marked and you ought to put it to memory. How many of you have you got it open by now? Luke chapter 14, verse 25. It's on the screen for you. There were great multitudes with him. And he turned. And because he wanted to build a big, prosperous, and successful ministry, he whispered sweet nothings in their ears. Come on, is that what it says? Not at all, does it? Turning to them, he said, If any man come to me and hate not his father, his mother, his wife, his children, his brothers, his sisters, yes, and even his own life, what are the next words, friends? Now, you're sure it says that. Come on, you're real sure it says that. Does it really say that you can't be his disciple? 
Now, does that sound like easy believism? Or does that sound like it costs something? If you look at verse number 33 in that same chapter, it says, In the same way, or so likewise, whosoever he be of you, who forsaketh not all he hath. What does it say? He cannot be my disciple. Some people tried to follow Jesus, and he said, let me tell you what it will cost you to follow me. You are going to be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Some of you are going to be thrown into prison. Some of you are going to be put to death. Your enemies are going to become the members of your own household. Does anybody remember that? Come on, did he say that? Now, may I tell you that what Jesus said was that in order to follow him, it cost everything. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, it costs Come on, what does it cost? Come on, how many of you believe that? It costs what the modern church has preached is that it costs nothing. Are you hearing me? And then we wonder why people walk the aisles and do what we preachers tell them to do, and then walk back out into the world, and their lives are not changed. The first step of making covenant was always counting the cost. Now, in dealing with this question, Dr. Billy Graham, the greatest evangelist of my day, is quoted as having said that 75% of those who sit on evangelical pews who believe themselves to be saved have never met Jesus. Are you hearing me? How many of them have never met Jesus? They've signed up to go to heaven, and we preachers, Pastor, do I dare say it? Have become professional liars in the name of Jesus. Did we want to do that? Was that our motivation? Or have we done what we were taught to do? Come on, am I making sense? What have we done? We've done what we were taught to do, and our hearts have yearned to see men come to know Jesus. But the problem is, 
that we have preached an emasculated gospel that does not have the capacity to change lives. When I was preaching that kind of a gospel, I saw many people saved, changed, but they were saved because of the grace of God in spite of what I preached to them. Y'all understanding me? First step where we've missed it is in not teaching people to count the cost. The second step of covenant making. Now let us assume that Pastor Eric and now have and I have gotten to know each other. We've counted the cost. And we're ready to be covenant partners. Would you like to know what we will do when we come to that place? We will make a public announcement that at a given place, at a given time, we will have a covenant ceremony. Y'all understand what I just said? We make that announcement. Can I tell you it's a little bit like getting married? We've counted the cost. We're ready to be joined. We're ready to give up everything for each other. And we invite you to come. In the old days, it was to the gates of the city. The gates of the city was the place where the ruling elders sat to administer the affairs of government. It would be saying going to the capital, to the seat of government, to make a solemn, binding, forever commitment to each other. When we arrive there and you come, please look at me. I'm going to take off my coat, my outer garment. I'm going to give it to pastor. He's going to take off his outer garment. He's going to give it to me. And I'm going to put it on and he's going to put mine on. When he puts that garment on, do you know what he's saying to me? Everything you are, Jerry King, I take. And when I receive him, here's what am I saying. Everything you are, I take. And from this moment forward, we are no longer separated and nothing can come between us. We have become one. Now, the scripture that most of us evangelicals have preached about salvation, our favorite one, has been Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Most all of you can quote that one, can't you? That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, 
Thou shalt be saved. Can I tell you what I used to do? I'd say, come on, folks. If you want to come to Jesus, come down front. And I've had them run down front by the dozens. Y'all believe me? I've had them run down front. When they got down front, I'd ask some questions. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? What do you think they said? Can I ask y'all a question? How many devils believe that? Oh. Do you believe that Jesus died and was buried and rose again the third day? What did they say? How many devils believe that? Do you believe he rose again the third day? How many devils believe that? Do you believe he ascended to the right hand of the Father and that he will come again to judge the living and the dead? What would you say? How many devils believe that? Now you've just confessed it publicly, haven't you? then why do I tell you that you're saved if you have done nothing more than every devil can do? Come on, is that a logical question? Is it? Now, would it surprise you if I told you that the verses that immediately precede that in Romans 10, 9, and 10 are a direct quote from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter number 30, beginning with verse number 12 as it applies to making covenant. Would that surprise you? Come on, would that surprise you? You see, the truth of the matter is that nobody is being told by the Gospels or by Paul's letters that all it takes for you to be saved is to believe something and confess something. What we're being told is that that Jesus is our access into the covenant with the Father. Do you understand me? That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus means the introduction into the covenant ceremony. Y'all understanding me? First step is what? Second step is what? Which says, I give you me and I take you. Does that sound like signing up to go to heaven? Or does it sound like surrendering your life? Come on, which does it sound like? Is it a total commitment? What does it cost? When I made covenant with Nancy Gale, I made some major changes in my life. You know what I gave up? I gave up my right to chase women. Come on, how many of you believe I gave up some rights? Do you believe that? She believes it. I'll tell you for sure she does. When I married Nancy Gale, I gave her everything I had. Didn't have much, but it was all hers. Do you all understand me? 
I made covenant with that girl. And more than 51 years ago, she and I have become one. The third step of covenant making. After we've had this public ceremony, I'm going to take off my belt and I'm going to give it to pastor. And when I give him my belt, do you know what I'm saying? I give you my strength. See, a belt was not to hold pants up in those days. They were robes. A belt was to hold weapons, and it said, I give you my strength. So I give him my strength. Now, here's my problem. When I made covenant with the Lord, I didn't have any strength to give him. Truth of the matter is, he doesn't want my strength. How many of you all have figured that out? Really, how many of you figured it out? As a matter of fact, every time any one of you has ever said, Jesus, use me, do you know what you've really been praying? Jesus, break me so you can use me. Because in the history of the world, he never uses anybody until he breaks us first, until we have no confidence in our own flesh. If he uses you in your strength, who's going to get the credit? But if he breaks you until you have no confidence in your own strength, then he gets the glory. That's why 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, I believe it's verse 8, says this, My grace is sufficient for you. I will make my strength perfect in your weakness. How many of you remember that? I'm going to make my strength perfect in what? How many of you have any weakness to give him? Really, does that put us all on the same level? He doesn't want your strength. Can I tell you that if God can use Jerry King, he can use anything? If I told you my story, you'd believe that. You understand me? If God can use me, he can use anybody. All he wants from me is my weakness. And he said, I'll pour my strength in you and then I'll get the credit. I have a question for you. How many of you all tonight are willing to lay down your strength and give God your weakness so that he can use you and get the glory? Are you willing to do that? Step number four. After we have exchanged belts, we move quickly to the next step. And that is we now exchange our weapons. I give him my sword. I take his sword. Need those swords, brother. <laughs> you understand me? <laughs> have to take the swords and we exchange them. And do you know what I'm saying when I give him my sword? I give you my enemies. And I take yours. You'll never fight again without me. And I used to think that we Christians would be willing to give up our enemies. And do you know what I've discovered about us? We'd rather give up our gold than our enemies. We've earned them and we're jolly well going to keep them. As a matter of fact, in America, we have a saying. I don't get mad, I get I've never been in a church that couldn't complete that statement. <laughs> you understand what I've just said? Now, may I tell you what you are if you don't give the Lord his, your enemies? You all want me to tell you what you are? 
Okay, I'm going to introduce a totally new concept to you now. If you're mad at anybody, if you've got any hurt you've kept, you don't know what you are. Come on, reach up and rub your jaw so it won't hurt so badly. And say, I am a covenant violator. Come on, if you still have your enemies and you're hurt, what are you? Can't break covenant, you can just violate it. Now we come to number five, and this is the one from which the name covenant comes. Am I boring you guys? Are you all with me okay? Can I have a little bit more time? We come to step number five. Step number five is called the walk of death. Beer yeath. Now we're going to take an animal pastor, and we're going to cut him into two pieces right down through the middle of his body. We're going to put one piece over here. We're going to put another piece over here. And you and I are going to walk the shape of the figure eight, the shape of infinity, around that bleeding, quivering, cut flesh that has just lost its life. And when I walk with you through that, I'm going to say, Eric, if I ever violate the covenant that we've just made, may God do to me what we've just done to this animal. And may he not only do it to me, may he do it to my wife, to my children, to my grandchildren, to my great-grandchildren, and to my great-great-grandchildren. Does anyone remember reading in Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 5 where God in the giving of the Ten Commandments said, I will visit the sins of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations. How many of you remember reading that? If I sin, I am a covenant violator and a curse comes upon me and my children to the third and fourth generations. Now, would you like me to tell you what a curse is? Y'all don't want to know? How many of you want to know what a curse is? I'm going to give you the simplest definition of a curse. Please put your hands together. A curse is nothing more or less than an open door for a demon to gain access to you. Because demons become the enforcers of the just penalties of covenant violation. And do you just do you understand what I just said? Luis, if you sin, do you know what happens to that little guy of yours? Y'all understand what I've just said? 
If he's a covenant violator, what happens to that little guy you brought into the world? You've just opened the door to devils and said, sick him. Are you all hearing what I'm saying to you? Are you hearing me? The walk of death said, Devil, come get me, my wife, my kids, and let it continue to the third and fourth generations. Now, may I ask you, friends, a simple question. If there's an open door for a demon, is he going to act like a gentleman or is he going to bring destruction and death? Does your Bible say in John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, to destroy? Does your Bible say that? I wish I had time to develop it all over the Bible, but I've already taken great deal of your time tonight. But may I tell you that if you have made covenant with God, are you understanding me? And if you have walked in disobedience and you want to know why the devil is able to beat you up, it's because the penalty of covenant violation is the curses that are here And I'm going to tell you that there are some places in the Bible that describe that. The first one that describes it clearly is the 15th chapter of the book of of Genesis. You remember where God came down with Abram and walked between the pieces of the flesh. Some people have asked me why God didn't let Abram walk with him. And the answer is that it was a foreshadowing of the time that Jesus Christ with one hand would be God, with the other hand would take mankind and bring us together. And when He hung on the cross and He shed the blood for us, He did the walk of death for both man and God. And that's why the Bible says that if you violate your relationship with God, how will you escape? Because you trample under your feet the blood of the most holy covenant. How many of you remember reading that? In Hebrews chapter number 10. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? People often ask me why demons get access to us. It's simple. They walk through the doorway of a curse. And the doorway of a curse comes because of covenant violation. Am I making sense to you guys? Now, may I tell you? That every culture in the world, except those that are founded on the teachings of scientific rationalism introduced by a Greek philosopher named Aristotle, understand this, preached on this in New Mexico some time ago. An American Indian chief was present. When I finished, he came to me and he said, we make covenant like that. I was in Africa not too long ago. I taught on this subject. When I finished, a distinguished-looking gentleman came to me. 
He said, Dr. King, my tribe has been at war with another tribe for years. We recently made covenant with that other tribe. Would you like me to tell you how? He said, I said, yes, I'd like to know. Would you like to know what he told me? He said, we took a woman. The leaders of my tribe, together with the leaders of the other tribe, cut her body into two pieces. We put one piece of her body here, the other piece here. First, the members of the leadership of my tribe walked between her body. The leaders of the other tribe came through that through her body. We said, if we ever violate this covenant, may God do this to us. He said, then my people took one half of her body and hung it on a tree at the entrance of our village. The other tribe took the other half of her body and hung it on a tree at the entrance of their village. He said, we'll never fight those people again. We're in covenant. Can I tell you, it's understood around the world except by us where we've been taught a message of easy believism that has not required cost until most of the people in our churches have signed up to go to heaven and have carried with them the penalties of covenant violation and cannot begin to figure out why the devil is beating their brains out. Are you all hearing me? The next step of covenant making was the covenant mark. Pastor and I are making covenant. I will now take a sharp knife or a rock, and with that, I will cut my right wrist. I will take a cup or some container, and I will catch my blood in it. Pastor Eric will do the same thing. Then when we have done that, I will take a dark substance, ashes, something like that, and I will rub that substance into the wound of my wrist so that when I am healed, I mark. There are some Western customs that come from this. Please look at me. I just took pastor's hand to shake his hand. Do you know what I just did? I just got to the place that I can examine his wrist. If he's marked, do you know what I know about him? He's in covenant with somebody who would die for him. You understand me? And if I want to fight him, I can't just fight you. Who have I got to fight? And that other one might be big and mean and ugly. <laughs> There's another custom that came from that. Come on, raise your right hand. 
You're in a court of law. Do you solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth? That gives a magistrate the opportunity to determine whether you're in covenant. Now, may I tell you that every place in the Old Testament that you read about the hand of God being stretched out, every place, God is warning His people about covenant violation and is telling them either to repent or that the penalty of covenant violation is about to be exacted on them. Every place. Isaiah chapter number 62, all day long I stretched forth my hands to a disobedient people. You get it? All over. So many places I can show you that. May I take you to one more step, and I'm going to quit for tonight. The last step is the covenant meal. You remember the first step was private? We didn't invite you until step number two, right? The last step's private. Now, we send all of you home, and now, Pastor, you and I go into a private room where we've prepared a meal. And when we get there, I take that cup of blood that I have here and that you had. I mix a little wine with that, and I hand it to you, and I say, Eric, this is the cup of the covenant of my blood, which is shed for you even when my Blood is spilt, the covenant remains. Now, may I ask you, do you know someone who did that with his disciples? Come on, do you? I take some bread and I break it and I say, even when my body is broken, the covenant remains. Do you know someone who did that with his disciples? Do you? Now, can I take you to one more verse of Scripture? I want you to go to John's Gospel, chapter 6 and verse number 53, and this is another one where you need to get your big pencil and mark it. I suggest that you commit this one to memory. John chapter 6, verse number 53. And Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood. What does it say, friends? What do you think He's saying? If you're not in covenant with me, you're lost. Is that hard to understand? Except a man eat my flesh and drink my blood. You have no life. I read that and I tremble. What about you? Now, can I be honest with you? Many of us in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ made covenant with God many years ago. 
You don't even have to know what making covenant's all about to make covenant with God. All you have to do is to come to him and say, I give you me, and I take you. I'm, quest- I'm curious. How many of you all have done that? I give you me, and I take you. Have you done that? Did you mean it? I surrender how much? I give you how much? Then how much of you does he own? Do you know what that means? Because we didn't know what making covenant meant. Most of us have lived our Christian lives with doors open where demons have had access to us. Do you remember I said I would tell you why the devil's able to do what he does? How many of you believe that if he has an open door, he's going to come through it? Come on, how many of you believe? How many of you believe he's going to cut you any slack just because you're ignorant? What do you think? Are you able to see that many of us in the church don't know why the devil's been able to mess with us, but he's had every legal right because we have made covenant and we are covenant violators? We've kept our enemies. We haven't fought his enemies. I have people tell me all the time, Dr. King, I'm so glad God called you to cast out devils. I don't want to do it. You want me to tell you, if you're not casting out devils, what are you? Boy, you all are timid, aren't you? Try it one time. Say, I'm a covenant violator. Come on, what are you if you're not doing it? What does that mean? How many of you think this walk with Jesus may be a little more serious than you thought it was? Are you all understanding what I'm saying? It may be a little bit more serious. Now, here's another condition in the church. There are a bunch of people that were in my ministry that walked the aisle and did what I told them to, and they never made covenant with God. You all understand what I'm saying? Never did it. They're in church, expect to go to heaven, but they've never made covenant. I've just brought to you guys one of the most serious messages you will ever hear. How many of you know I've just given you information that's heavy? I was asked tonight by several people, are you going to give us some food tonight? I said, I'm going to load you down with steak. I'm going to give you stuff you can go home and chew on. But here's my question to you. If you've made covenant with God and you've been a violator, and most of us have if we've made covenant with God, is there anybody who thinks that tonight might be a good night to repair Do you think it might be a good time to come and repent and repair those breaches that have been here because you've been a covenant violator? What do you think? Anybody here ready to renew your vows to God? And if you're one of those people who signed up to go to heaven or bought fire insurance and never gave yourself in covenant with God, I'm going to suggest that you count the cost. And that you make tonight 
the beginning, not just of a journey to heaven, but of a kingdom walk that gives God control of your life to where you give up everything because that's what it costs to follow Jesus. Have I been clear with you tonight? Now, if you fit in either one of those categories, come on up here and get as close to me as you can. That's right, I did. And you mean it too, don't you, buddy? Yep. Come on up, Pastor, and join me, please. Now, Pastor, I'm going to tell you, this is the kind of people and the kind of a commitment that make hell tremble. you all believe that? How many of you believe that there are enough people here that are either making or renewing covenant with God to shake this county, to shake this region? Is there anybody here ready to begin by saying, Father, come on, say it, Father. In the name of your Son, Jesus, I come here tonight to give myself to you. I withhold nothing. I give you my body, my sexuality, my relationships, my possessions, my hopes, my dreams, my future, everything, everything. I repent for everything I've withheld. I repent for my sins my willfulness, my ignorance, and as of today, I give you me, and I take you, and from this time forward, I covenant with you, because of your blood, your covenant blood, I receive forgiveness, I receive purpose, and from this day forward, I invite heaven, I invite hell to witness the covenant commitment that I affirm here today in Jesus' name. Now, please look at me. You just invited witnesses. If your spiritual eyes could be opened you would see that we're not the only beings here. How many of you believe there are a few angels ringing this place tonight? How many of you think there are a few demons standing around here? Have we called them to witness? Now I want you to say, if you can say this and mean it, God, that's not just this man's words. I mean it. It comes from my heart. And I, and I bind myself to them. 
And I ask you to seal these words by your Spirit upon me. In the name of Jesus. Now I want you to look at me. You've just walked through a door that's as serious as anything you've ever done in your life. Do you realize that? You've never done anything more serious than this in your life. It is the open door to the most meaningful part of your life, or it is the open door to the biggest taste of hell you've ever dreamed of. Because if you don't walk in this, you've just moved to a new level of commitment. Do you all understand what I'm saying? What I'm saying to you? In the name of Jesus, we're covenant brothers, aren't we? Amen. I was reminded of the time when Jesus basically rebuked the disciples and they began to leave. And he said, he turned to Peter and he said, do you want to go too? And Peter said, where am I going to go? You're the Christ. This is a very serious thing in which we've stepped into tonight. You don't have to make the sacrifices that he's put on that board. Physical animal being killed, I'm not telling you to go do that and walk through it. Jesus was the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the earth. That he's done that for us. We need to take that seriously. Jesus saw the adulterous woman, and you know what he said to her? Go and sin no more. And I tell you that today, to go and sin no more, and do not violate the covenant any longer. Let me pray a blessing over you guys tonight. Father, tonight, we thank you for this man that has brought revelation, but we know that the revelation has come from you. Lord, we thank you that deep within our spirit, we know and we've seen the Western church talk about things and do things that did not really truly establish the covenant in the earth. And we want this covenant established in the earth so much that we establish this covenant here in our lives. And as we establish this covenant here in our lives, that we know it will infiltrate the entire earth as we walk in dominion, as we walk in authority. And God, here tonight, I thank you for cleansing. I thank you for healing. I thank you for purifying. I thank you for righteousness. And I thank you for holiness. God, I bless your people here tonight as we walk together in this covenant that we've made with you. That now we'll step into discipleship and we'll be discipled to know what you want us to do and how you want us to do it and to advance the kingdom of God in the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. One thing for you before you leave, before I finished with you. If you find yourself having violated covenant, repent quickly. You understand? Quickly. Before the enemy can build a stronghold that gives him something to execute in your life. 
the only safe address for you from the re- for the rest of your life is to live at number one Repentance Avenue. Amen. I just want you guys to to sow into the Word of God that was sown in you tonight. 